Are you thinking, is this it? Waking up in the morning and, ugh, I have to go to work? When is it going to end? If you ever wonder why we ask questions during our podcasts. Nah, you just listen for the free tips. We ask questions for you to get coaching without paying the expense of a private coach and for you to get help right away because the world needs you to be better. And now it's even easier for you to get the inspiration you need to make your life and relationships meaningful with the Building Better Relationship Journal and Meditation your personal coaching journal that finds the gold in you that makes life joyful and, yes, worth getting out of bed every morning, along with the Building Better Relationships meditation that attracts the energy and love you want in your life. What are you waiting for? Yeah, baby, this is it. Live love now. To learn more and to purchase the Building Better Relationships at Home and Work Journal and Meditation, go to https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash bbr journal. That's https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash bbr journal. You can find the link in the show notes. Welcome to Building Better Relationships at Home and at Work with Angela and Patty podcast. This is Patty, a leadership and work-life balance coach from Arizona, USA. And this is Angela, love and relationship coach from Sydney, Australia. And we are building better relationships with you. Sharing new perspectives on being heart-centered at home and at work. So you can draw on your inner power to make your relationships and the world a better place to be around. In today's podcast episode, this topic came from a listener request about not taking everything so personally. Why do some people or cultures make it look so easy not to take things personally and others take every little thing to heart? Is it the environment of how we are raised? Or do some people have DNA that lets things just roll off their back or turn the other cheek with ease? Are some people more sensitive than others because they are empathetic or highly sensitive in nature? Ooh, that's a good one. (laughs) These were random questions I had on this topic that I don't have the answers on, but thought I would share. I know that I feel too deeply and take things said to me too personally at times. I know this is something that has been learnt or passed down from my mother to me. I notice body language, the tone of voice. I feel energy shifts from the other person that's in front of me. I also know that I can feel others' emotions as well, which doesn't help when you are trying not to take things personally. So how to overcome hurt by someone's harsh words? Remind yourself 
It's about them and not about you at that moment. Maybe you did something they didn't like. What did their words really say? Was it about the behavior or something else? Not everyone has the same kind heart as you. Being kind and giving is a good quality to have, but creating boundaries is necessary so you don't get taken advantage of. And learning to communicate what you need is so important to make sure that it doesn't happen. And hiring a coach can make and help you create good boundaries and put them into action when needed. Yeah, boundaries are super important. And I would like to talk a bit more about them today, how that helps you uh, build a better relationship with your feelings and feeling too much and being in balance. So I wanted to take up your question about the DNA, Patty, how different cultures may at times be more attuned to people's feelings than other cultures. And specifically your question, um, do some people let things roll off their back or turn the other cheek with ease? And this brings me to conditioning. Conditioning is what you described about the tone of voice that you picked up from your parenting. Conditioning is the way we're raised, which is not necessarily part of our DNA, yet over thousands or hundreds of years or through the generations of your parents and their parents, the conditioning within our culture and tribes literally informs the emotional response system that's built into the DNA. So our limbic brain and the emotional brain and how that influences the way we respond to emotions. Our DNA is conditioned or formed by the environment we live in, which is shaped by the land and the culture of the people that develop in that land environment. So one modern example of how this affects the way we deal with emotions is a lot of people live alone these days. They don't live with a family. So if you live alone, you may become desensitized to the needs of others as a form of emotional protection because you've learned to be self-reliant. So that doesn't mean that you're insensitive. What it means is that you've learned to not share because you live alone and that's what you only can do. And you also may feel alone in the way you face some challenges in life. So you've learned to adapt it may mean that you've become fearful of having to feel other emotions because you don't have the resources or conditioning to manage those emotions because you've learned how to live alone. So some people who seem to be able to let things roll off their back, they're actually really resourceful at not taking things personally because they've learned not to get involved in the emotions. And, yes, they may be controlling about their emotions, but it's not necessarily insensitivity. It may be a form of emotional defence so they can function in a situation where they're forced to live in alone or isolated. And a lot of us have done this through lockdowns. So now we're beginning to get it. 
So I think if we just say those people are heartless, we're not really getting the bigger picture of conditioning and how we have to learn how to adapt when we're more and more isolated. So the um, the other scenario, if you live in a culture where family is heavily prioritised, you might live with your family physically, but also you might have obligations. Some of us feel compelled to satisfy the needs of our family, often at the expense or literally at the expense of your needs. That might be a big cultural expectation and conditioning. So this can make people too sensitive (laughs) or you feel compelled to feel the needs of others without the boundaries that make you feel healthy and supported and a functioning part of that family. And other people in a a family-dominant culture, you might feel basically overwhelmed by the needs of your family. So you can actually start to desensitise yourself to the feelings of your family and start to push them away in order to just survive, basically because you haven't put in those boundaries. So, Patty, I wonder if we can talk about boundaries here, like in families where you really feel, I I know a lot of people like this in my own family. I've done this in my own family. I'll share my experience. I was um, in a caring situation and then I stopped my life to do that. And then I became very, very dysfunctional emotionally and also I couldn't make decisions because I felt like I'd sacrificed myself. So then I started to blame other family members who now I'm back into relationship with 20 years later. But at that time I kind of went into this martyr syndrome. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at me, I'm getting blah, blah, blah. I made a big drama about it all like somehow they didn't understand my needs and but actually I had chosen to be in a carer role and mm-hmm. I had become emotionally unbalanced because I, I had stopped my life and I also got sick at the time as well. Um, but then I projected on other people because they didn't somehow come in and rescue me or something. Right, because you didn't communicate um, your needs. I didn't and I had no idea how. Right. To communicate my needs. I just went yeah. into victim mode. People fall into that because the others don't really realize how you're feeling or that you need a break or <clears throat> that you've given up so much of yourself for this other person to take care of. And then that person leaves. And yeah. then you're dealing with the loss. And you're dealing with all those years of taking care of somebody and now they're gone. And that was your life. And you don't, and that's where resentment comes in because you felt like you gave up so much and not everybody else did. They didn't share in the caregiving because it wasn't communicated that they needed help. They wanted some time away. They needed that time away to be healthy, mentally, physically, emotionally. And that happens to a lot of caregivers, especially after the person that they've been caring for, you know, dies. You're going through a grieving process, plus you're also going through a life change 
physically and emotionally yourself by take because of all those years of giving yourself and not caring for yourself. So setting up the boundaries is one of the things that people need to do is to ask for what they need. Hey, can you come once once a month for a weekend so I can have a weekend away to do some self-care on myself so that I can refill my cup to be able to be what I need to be for the person that I'm taking care of. I wanted to add the cultural conditioning aspect (laughs) to that, what you've just shared. In my family, it was an Italian-Australian family from Sicily, which is fairly um, farm, uh, farm, farming type of culture, very simple family-based farming. So there there was in my um, mum and her mother's and their ancestors' cultural conditioning that the women would just stop everything and look after everyone all the time. And my grandmother also was working full-time, perhaps even more, as a farmer. So they were working, 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 and then they would give, 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 give. There were no um, conversations mm-hmm. about boundaries. <laughs> or needs. So, or pardon? Or needs or wants. Or wants. You just sacrificed and then you yelled at people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's my conditioning. And so when it came to my time, the conditioning was I was sent off to get an education, which is very different to my mum. So I had to stop all of that expectation, which was get an education to get a higher paying job and just give up or sacrifice whatever your needs are to then do caretaking. And also the same thing happened to my sister, the other woman in the family. So it was a real conflict because we were brought up in an Australian environment where the expectation was to get the education, but then it was conflicting with the conditioning of our Italian background, which was being a woman, you give up everything. And that was extremely a friction-based environment, which actually for my sister and myself and other women who were in my family born in Australia with Italian background and culture, it's an important friction-based environment to force you to start understanding your needs. Mm-hmm. So what we do to take things personally, instead of actually going, oh, this conflict in my environment is helping me learn how to, A, understand my needs, and then B, articulate my needs without tearing somebody's head off, um, we we often don't see that. Um, I know that personally from my family experience. My whole life has been learning how to understand my needs and mm-hmm. then articulate them and use boundaries and articulate the boundaries. But, yeah, basically my ancestors never had to do that and never had the opportunity And that happens with a lot of people and a lot of families, the same thing. It's what's expected. How do you change that by communicating what you're feeling, how you're feeling, 
what you would like and not it to be a selfish thing, but a survival thing. That's super important what you just said because survival is something I think we're starting to get more connected to now. How are we going to survive as a species only through communicating our needs <laughs> in a heart-based or a caring or a, a less hot-headed way? Yeah. Unfortunately, when you're in that situation and you feel like a trapped animal, what does a trapped mm. animal do? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you behave the way you do, because you feel like a caged animal and that you're trapped and then you can't get out. So you are going to explode. You are going to do normal things that you wouldn't do because you're feeling like a caged animal and you don't know how to communicate that. Yeah. So that might be another tip on not taking things personally is to see that a lot of us right now are feeling trapped and we may not know the source of that and we may live in a first world type of situation but it doesn't mean that you're not emotionally feeling that your needs are not being either A, understood, and B, you may have no skills to communicate those needs. Right. So the key for me is to see that there are these things that we need to relate to at a personal level in all relationships. Patty, I believe that's that's work relationships as well, even yeah. though it may not be so personal <laughs> in the way you communicate. Right, because, you know, there's doers. Everybody says, oh, just give it to the doer. Well, what are you doing to the doer? Overloading. You're, you're overloading them. Oh, they'll do it. They'll finish it. They'll stay all night. Yes. It's the same pattern as being a caregiver. You're taking care of everybody. You're taking care of everybody else's needs, but not your own. Right. And for a workaholic workaholic is the doer they're putting everybody else's needs to the side and they're working on their needs of working right two ways to look at it they could be working for staff um, self-gratification Yes. Or they could be working because they feel like it's their responsibility to take on all of this work. And, Patty, they could be just unconscious that that's how they're behaving and operating. Definitely. And that's actually destructive to them. Yes, that's where burnout comes in play. So boundaries then and creating them is really like a learning process that doesn't end it you because you're learning if you're unconscious of your doer behavior for example uh, you may need to first put in a boundary where you need to just say a time limit boundary mm -hmm. but then as you start to work with boundaries there are these other things that you might need to put into place like a communication right. skill well, remember in my in the 21 day program, I actually talk about that setting, telling people I'm leaving at five o'clock today. Mm -hmm. 
I'm leaving at five o'clock today and then actually doing it. And every day I'm leaving at five o'clock today and you get out of your chair and you leave. You're starting to set that boundary and set that principle. I am out of here at five o'clock and it becomes a habit and people see that habit and they won't ask you to stay. Right. And then another habit for the doer might be when they leave at five o'clock, uh, guilt. Oh, I'm not helping to do X, Y, and Z. And they, the list that goes through your brain after you left work, that you're still working because your head is still finishing the unfinished task right. list because you're a doer and you love to finish stuff and you like to do things. So it's, the brain is still functioning. And you might have guilt. So another boundary could be the psychological piece where you work on a boundary to say, okay, when I start feeling guilt, this is the boundary I'm actually going to start working with, with myself, my psychological, emotional brain that still somehow needs to beat myself up because I haven't done enough. Then I need another boundary that will be unique to you, whatever your guilt story is. Right. And you need to come up with another um, boundary that you put in place for yourself. But when I leave at five o'clock, I'm going home to my spouse and my children. And I'm going to be spending more time with them. So you set up, if that's one of the things that's causing issues in your relationship at home, you put that as, I'm doing this for me and my family to help my relationship with my children and, and my spouse or my partner. Great. And getting really clear on what that new boundary is, that quality time. Yes. It's not doing the dishes or something. It's actually whatever the family quality time is. Because sometimes I find with doers, they'll just go home and then they'll start doing it <laughs> to escape <laughs> what actually is really required for the relationship to grow. Right. Okay. And that relationship is so important that you need to really reflect what is important for my relationship to keep my relationship strong and healthy. Yeah. And a conversation with the family might be required or the, the partner the spouse that, that's parenting with you. So this comes to um, when we're sort of focusing on what's best for the relationship, uh, one of the pitfalls is when we take things personally, we're not focusing on the other person. Uh, sometimes I find people, when they take things personally, they think they're like, experiencing the really what's going on in the relationship. Like if my partner is upset, um, I start to feel upset. Like I'm sympathising with their feelings. I'm jumping into their emotions. Uh, and a classic example of this, which I used to see in a lot of the workshops, group workshops and personal development or, or, or emotional healing someone in the workshop would cry and then the people collectively in the group would start to go, 
oh, you poor thing, right, you poor useless thing (laughs) or you poor thing, which is a natural human response. We start to feel bad. But actually it may not it may not be the best thing for that person. So if you're one of those people who is very sensitive and you start to jump into the other person's emotions, that may not necessarily be the best thing, the best way to support them. Um, and, and this is what I've noticed through coaching, Patty. Like we, in a coaching session, we create a space for that person to experience their emotions, but we don't necessarily go, oh, um, you poor thing. We, we actually create a space for the person to understand what they're feeling. Um, and that, that's a very big clue about not taking things personally in a relationship Sometimes when our family members or our, our people at work are feeling bad, we might go into a fix-it mode mm-hmm. or we go into, oh, you poor thing mode. And that may not be the only thing. It's always good to say, oh, um, to empathise and say, oh, okay, I feel for you. But to then just sort of go, yeah, all men are bastards or, yeah, I understand, I feel like that too because everybody's against me. <laughs> when we over-identify with the emotion, right? it doesn't really help that person to process the emotion. Um, or come up with a solution. Or come up with a solution to the problem. Sorry, say that again, Patty, I didn't catch it. Or come up with a solution to the problem. Oh, great. So what what other ideas from coaching might we be able to share where we don't take things personally um, to help them listen to themselves if they're having an emotional response or a reaction? Well, I'm sure, Angela, you've, you've probably, the same as I have, you ask a question that really sets them off because... It might be a question that they've been avoiding or they don't want to think about, but it's the question that they needed at the time to really reflect on, to resolve what they're going through and to come up with a solution. Yeah, so those really painful questions like, what's really going on here? Yeah. What's underneath this? (laughs) Or holding people accountable. For actions when they said they were going to do something and they didn't and you call them out on it and they get mad you can't take that personally that's our job right our job is to coach them and get them to where they want to be and if they really want to be there they've got to do the action to get there so like calling people out like when they say they want to do something and told Without you they were going to do something. Do or something. And, and what's <laughs> stopping you from doing something? <laughs> Is this truly what you want to do? Why are you avoiding it? If I was to take that to a, a personal relationship, um, I'm trying to think how not to be edgy with that mm-hmm. um, because I'm going to share my example about conditioning <laughs> shortly. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think it's a good example of like saying to your 
spouse or maybe a child as well, you you said to me you wanted to do this but you're not doing it. What's stopping you from doing it without being attacking and judgmental underneath it <laughs> emotionally in your tone of voice? Yeah, what, what's going on? Explain, explain um, what is stopping, stopping you, that, you know? And just having that time to reflect on that really makes people understand, oh, am I in avoidance? Why am I in avoidance? Why I say I want to do this, but I'm not. Why am I choosing not to do it? Is it because I truly don't want to do it? Yeah. Another solution somewhere else. Yeah, and some, so many times we're missing out on that other solution because if they don't want to do it, they've got a good reason. There's a reason. Yeah. Down. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just avoiding that. Right. And the solution is sitting behind that reason. Right, yeah. and it's opening it, opening it up to say, okay, yes, I'm avoiding this. I don't want to do it, and this is why. This is what I really want to do instead. Mm. Yeah, and that's such a fruitful conversation to have in your personal relationships and work. Mm-hmm. So I want to share an example of conditioning that's quite personal and domestic where I've been taking things personally and too personally for most of my life, but I've had a real shift in it over my lifetime. So I wanted to share it because it's a really good example of how to stop taking things personally. And it's about house cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) So house cleaning is very much conditioned by how you were raised and your cultural background. So my example is when I see the clothes on the floor, I start to bubble like a boiling pot that's going to explode. And inside of me, there are these voices like, oh, what is this? What's that doing on the floor? Why would they do that? How could you do that? What's going on? What's wrong with you? You know, that literally is the program of conditioning in my head. So maybe you can imagine that there was someone in my life who would have said those very exact things. <laughs> yes, my mum. So my mum would scream and yell. Um, She didn't use those exact words, but I know the energy. When I'm in my my head, I'm hearing those voices. That's my mum. And when I was a young child, I was a little pig. I would leave things everywhere. I really did. Um, I was different to my siblings that way. So now I'm conditioned that when clothes, not other items, because other items don't seem to do this, but shoes and clothes, when they're all over the place, I lose it in my head. And sometimes I say them out loud. What are these things on the floor? I'll say that to my partner. So one tip to not taking things personally is to start watching your conditioning. Just observe yourself like a David Attenborough experiment, (laughs) like you're an animal in the wilderness, in your domestic wilderness, and listen to those annoyed, angry voices in your head regarding the household. When you start listening, you're going to hear all of your expectations. You'll start to hear your parents 
and you'll hear the frustration of someone else not doing what you think should be done. That is a classic and very clear example of your conditioning. So once you hear it, you can just say, oh, that's my conditioning. It's not that person in the house hating me or insulting me or ignoring me or wanting me dead. That's your conditioning and it's your expectation about how things should be done. So when that happens, if you're very angry like me, don't speak with the other person. (laughs) Um, You'll need some space usually if you want to actually communicate effectively or calmly um, and think about what how you could say to them. But if you're expecting them to do what you want, they're probably not going to because they don't have the same conditioning as you. So, Patty, that was just my classic example. I'm going to share some other strategies later about how to communicate more calmly, but you've got some other strategies to help us as well. Yeah. Let's talk about some strategies to help people deal with not taking things personally. So I'm just going to give some strategies on keeping yourself in a calm manner. Listen to happy, soothing, calming, or spiritual music when feelings start to surface within you. Find something fun to do that will help redirect your thoughts. Practice meditation and pray for letting go of the things people have said. Angela, do you have any meditations that you can share with the audience? I actually have a few exercises under four videos called Choose the Relationship. That's when you're losing your plot in a relationship (laughs) and it helps you to refocus on choosing the best outcome for the relationship. So I'll put the link in the show notes. It's from my YouTube videos called I Love Mondays. Great. Thank you. The next thing is, is to watch your reactions and triggers when around certain people. Become aware of those thoughts and assumptions. Reflect on why these reactions are happening and how you can release or address them. Pushing them down isn't going to solve the problem. Sometimes you need to communicate and talk about it. With friendships, coworkers, partners, and family, how has taking things personally affected those relationships? And what can you do to change it for the better? So those are a few things to reflect on and strategies to help when you are feeling that you are taking things personally. Yeah, I love that question. How does this affect your relationship? Yeah. So I'm going to share what Patty brought up earlier. Um, The question, are some people more sensitive than others because they're empathic or highly sensitive in nature? And I wanted to address you if you feel like that do you feel you're feeling too much you feel everything (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot (laughs) 
<laughs> so you feel everything about you. You're the centre of attention. And my question is, are you the most important thing in a relationship? What is a relationship? A relationship is not just about you. A relationship is like a dance, two people having a tango, a push-pull. So it's not just you and your feelings. However, I've noticed that some people who are more sensitive and there are people who are more sensitive in our world, that is actually scientifically recognised. Even if you look at the autistic spectrum, they've done great research now to show that some people on the spectrum are highly sensitive emotionally. They may not have the social skills in the same manner of people who are not on the spectrum, but they are actually highly emotional. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the uh, autistic spectrum, you have people who are highly analytical. Mm -hmm. So even on the autistic spectrum, we're getting great evidence that there are people who are more and more sensitive. But it does not mean that the people who are less sensitive are bad people. And what I'm noticing is that people who are more sensitive tend to blame people who are less sensitive. And this is not conducive to having a relationship. If you start saying that that person is not as good as me, then you can't relate to the person because you're saying they're damaged, they're bad, they're different, they're other, they're less than you. And to me, you're actually disrespecting the sacred aspect of that person. Maybe they are terrible. Maybe they're horrible to you. But this is a big problem in our world today is that often the sensitive people are condemning others who are less sensitive as being less human. Somehow they're less human. And actually they're just different. So what I find more helpful is to face the hurt inside of you. All of us, whether we're more or less sensitive, all of us experience hurt. And definitely some people address hurt in a different way. So, for example, a true narcissist may never address the hurt within themselves because they actually function very well without doing that. Mm-hmm. It does not mean that they're not um, they're worse or better a human being. It just means that they're not going to address their hurt. So I've heard a lot of negative talk now about certain narcissists that should be demonised and this this done to them but at some point if we start talking like this at some point you will be labeled a narcissist because you don't respond the way other people think you should and you could be just a regular or normal ordinary human being like we were discussing earlier struggle we struggling with survival like feeling like a caged animal Mm -hmm. and then they're going to start labeling you as a narcissist so we have to be very careful with blaming people So I'm going to go back to then what Patty was sharing earlier about understanding your needs because when you're hurt, it's very hard to communicate. And one thing that was very helpful for me was learning um, non-violent communication. So we can think about our hurts through non-violent communication about how we actually underneath that hurt, 
have a need that we're not expressing. So Marshall Rosenberg was really, really great at educating the world in the 60s and 70s through nonviolent communication. And I came across it through two Canadian beautiful women who unfortunately I can't remember their names, but they've impacted me deeply for the rest of my life. And when they were teaching the workshop, they used two stuffed animals, two stuffed toys, and one, one was a coyote and one was a giraffe. And every time we were communicating our needs in typically personal relationships, that sounded like we were coming from our hurt and not our heart, they would use the coyote and they would howl. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so the coyote is like me talking about my clothes on the floor. What are these clothes doing on the floor? Oh, that's me. And then they use the giraffe animal to, stuffed toy to, to teach us how to focus on how do we communicate from our heart? Now, if you're in coyote mode, it's very hard to shift. <laughs> so that's when you can use some of the strategies that Patty was sharing about the meditation or feeling something fun, connecting to soft music, some maybe just removing yourself and from the relationship to get to a different space and connect, connect to your heart. So when we're connecting to the heart and we're being more like the giraffe, the teachers from Canada were explaining to us how to um, communicate that need. So if we're going to go back to my example of the clothes on the floor, I'd connect to my heart and I'd look at the clothes on the floor and I would say to the person, dear Fred or whoever, see these clothes I have a need for some order in my space here. Can you help me clear up the clothes or can you clear up the clothes for me? But it often happens after I've connected to heart and I've de decompressed from my coyote self. So I found that often with the giraffe language, it doesn't happen intuitively. And when you study nonviolent communication, they spent months with people in a group, learning how to, to heal the coyote, <laughs> to listen to the coyote inside of you and get rid of your howling and really focus on how do you communicate that need? Because all of us, if we're conditioned like me not to communicate our needs, we're going to be in coyote mode and we're going to be howling a lot. So nonviolent communication normally is practiced with the coach or a mentor like me, I teach people how to do it and I practice with you or in a group environment so you can get through the howling mode and understand what's beyond the hurt. What's that need that you're trying to express but you're still wrapped up in the hurt and you can't express it or you have a belief that you can't get your needs met and that's what a coach often works with you, that you can get your needs met but you haven't been taught how to express those needs in a healthy way. So one thing that's happened for me after learning about nonviolent communication and practicing it was that I learned that I, I need to hear my crazy. I need to listen to myself and hear my crazy coyote and just realize that no one's trying to kill me by leaving their clothes on the floor. 
They're not trying to kill me. My emotional brain is just having a tantrum and I'm not going to die. It's just my emotional brain and I can relax. And after I do that part, then I just say casually, can you help me clean up? And then we both, in our own time, not when I want it, (laughs) but my partner, when they're ready, starts to organically organise the space. And then both of us don't beat each other up. But it's been a very long journey, I have to say, since I first started with nonviolent communication. It didn't happen overnight. The first step for me was listening to my crazy coyote and letting that coyote be relaxed. That was beautifully said, Angela. This topic has given us a lot to reflect on about changing the perspective of taking things personally in our relationships. We would love to hear your thoughts or experiences regarding this topic. Thank you for listening to Building Better Relationships with Angela and Patty. Send us a message and please like or share the podcast or donate with the Anchor Donate button. We really value your feedback.